Welcome to Ask the Investigator, brought to you by the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology. The JDD podcast illuminates timely scientific content through thoughtful discussion with top dermatology authors. Subscribe to the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology at jddonline.com to browse the current issue and evidence-based peer-reviewed archives. Welcome back to the latest episode of the JDD Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Friedman, Professor and Chair of Dermatology at the GW School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Today's episode is part two in a six-part miniseries entitled Aspiring Higher, Research Tales from Pfizer Grant Awardees that will highlight research conducted by key dermatologists funded by Pfizer's grant opportunities and discuss the overall benefit these grant awards had to their practice and patient care. This podcast is supported by Pfizer, Inc. The discussion is independent of Pfizer, Inc. and only reflects the opinions of the interviewees. Today's guest is Dr. Amy Paller. She is chair of the Department of Dermatology, director of the Skin Biology and Diseases Resource-Based Center, and the Walter J. Hamlin Professor of Dermatology at Northwestern. As a pediatric dermatologist and clinical researcher, Dr. Paller specializes in genetic and immune-mediated inflammatory diseases in children. The goal of her funded project was to create a decision aid for pediatric atopic dermatitis that is understood at all levels of health literacy. This tool would link to the online content of the currently available AD Shared Decision Making Tool on the ACAAI website, but specifically focus on children and low health literacy populations. The title of her project is Decision Aid for Pediatric Atopic Dermatitis, Expanding on the AD Shared Decision-Making Tool to Support Children and Parents. Thank you so much for being here with us, Dr. Power. My pleasure. So let's just start off right at the bat. You know, you're a successful NIH-funded physician scientist um, with, you know, a, a litany of experience. I would love to hear your approach to formulating a successful and relevant research question. Well, of course. The key is on relevant. Uh, You have to make sure that what you're asking is really going to be significant, is going to make a difference. And you have to really be on top of what's in the literature. You don't want to be putting out something that has just been published. So think futuristic. I think it's incredibly important to see where the need is, uh, whether it's a translational problem or whether it's a basic science problem for me for my lab, you need to ask the the right questions. And if it's something that might translate into helping patients, for me as a physician scientist, that's so much more meaningful. But I think it goes beyond that to be successful. You have to really play to your strengths. Many of us collaborate actively right now because I think funding agencies really like to see teams of collaborators who bring different strengths to the project. So if you put in a grant with someone who is well-recognized to have an expertise that complements your own, or in my case, my own, it, it really helps to bring something into our field that perhaps no one in our field even has the expertise for. Uh, and finally, technology is important. Uh, if you're if you're doing something in the lab using innovative techniques, if you're putting together a new scoring tool, for example, you want to do it in such a way that you're checking off all the boxes. 
so that the approach is going to be the most important part to pay details to. You may have the greatest idea in the world and really recognize a need, but if your approach doesn't think carefully about the various ways to address to, for all the steps that need to be done and think about what could go wrong and how you might get around that through alternatives uh, or sometimes going in a different direction, but thinking about it in advance. So those are some of the uh, thoughts that go through my mind when I'm putting in a grant. The people that I'm working with, that we do have the skills and that we've demonstrated that. The gap that's out there and put, pitching an idea that really proposes to look at that. And then, of course, innovation, cutting edge technology as much as possible. No, those, those were fantastic tips from a pro. Uh, and, and I know we were just talking moments before about how uh, you just got a grant on your first try, which is almost unheard of. And, and so I, I'm sure you're, you're not too unfamiliar uh, with the famous pink slip. Uh, you know, obviously you want to be an unscored grant, which is unbelievably frustrating, or a score, but not in the fundable range. Uh, and so I like to call this part pearls from the pink slip, so to speak. You know, I think we do learn from loss. And I'd love to hear what kind of things you've learned from your experiences over the years from maybe a grant that didn't just make it and, and from that learning how to improve that grant to make it a success. Adam, I have to tell you that, that I still shake more when I'm opening up uh, <laughs> my score for an NIH grant. You need a beta blocker. Else I do. Oh my gosh, sometimes I just avoid it. I have to, I have to be by myself. I have to be composed. It is... It is probably the hardest thing I do because I have no idea these days what awaits me on the other end. And all I can do is, is hope for the best. And then when I see it, let everybody know good or bad. Uh, but, but I will say that those pink sheets, which of course aren't pink sheets anymore, uh, have been helpful. One can always hope that it's been scored, that uh, there's feedback. And nowadays, of course, there's there's scores that are good and bad, and I uh, try to look at the good because it makes me feel better, but uh, of course, really pay attention mostly to the weaknesses. And paying attention to the weaknesses can be very helpful. Uh, you, you never want to just be stagnant in trying to put something back in. You wanna pay attention to every comment. So sometimes it's very frustrating. Uh, just like when someone's reviewed a manuscript and you get something back that says to you, they didn't really read what I said, uh, or just clearly telling you you missed something where you spent a lot of time putting it in. I've learned to step back from that and try to read into it what they're really saying and take it very seriously if someone makes a comment that I'd look at it and say, what are they talking about? It's right there on page six. It basically tells me that I need to do better, that I need to simplify what I'm writing, that I need to perhaps say it more than once in the grant. Um, and, and so those kinds of things, I pay attention to where there are criticisms and especially if I think I've covered them because that means I need to rewrite. Um, I, I also, really pay attention to suggestions that people make of things that are missing. 
because that really allows me to, to amplify and do a better job in thinking about controls and thinking about my approach. I don't think I've ever had a grant where the approach wasn't the, the worst number of the scores uh, because that's really where people pay attention and um, what, can, what can bring down a score. Uh, so being able to jump in there and change the approach based on what one's told is, is what I like to do. And I'm always hopeful that I get that kind of feedback so that I can morph the grant into something at a higher level. I think I was having some PTSD listening to those incredible pearls because I, I can even envision where I was when I'm reading the reviews and, and yelling out loud, I wrote it right here. What are you talking about? I did talk about, I did do this. And, and, and you're so right. It, it's, you know, instead of getting angry at the reviewer, turning around saying, how did, how could I have written this better? How could I have made this clearer so that this person would not have missed it? And how can I make sure someone doesn't miss in the future is, is such incredible advice, but it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. You know where you are when you have those moments. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to tell you, Adam, uh, you know, um, with journal articles that we're putting in, when we're putting in a manuscript and get out, it's so easy because we, we respond to each and every comment and it's the same people reviewing it. The, a big frustration with, with grants right now is that for many grants, it's not the same people looking at it the second time. And that means that you can absolutely do a bunch more experiments or add this, pay attention to that, and there may be a whole new list. Right. So you start have to start all over, which is so much fun. Well, well, certainly flipping back to the positive, uh, let's focus in on a grant that was awarded, and, and that was uh, your project, Decision Aid for Pediatric Atopic Dermatitis, expanding on the AD Shared Decision-Making Tool to support children and parents. How did you come up with this? Well, we know it's a huge need right now to be providing correct information that is understood by our patients and families. And right now with the EMR, we do have the capability of having printouts and being able to go over this. And yet it's not really well individualized and it often doesn't give enough of what uh, the patients and their families really need, including what to do in between. Uh, so decision aids, of course, are pretty hot right now. And we thought one was needed for children with atopic dermatitis and their caregivers. So that's what we put together. And it wasn't just for me, but it was a team of myself with a pediatric allergist and someone who's an expert in writing decision aids. And, and so what, what has come of this? Uh, where, where are you with this work? Well, we're, we're finished with writing it. Uh, it's perhaps a little long because it's a very colorful um, three page of, of factual information, uh, actually uh, four if you go to systemic treatments. Um, but then it has these appendices that we're doing some beta testing right now with, with a, a new group of patients that really uh, pay attention to what to do when the eczema is under control and then when it flares, whether it's mild, whether it's severe. Uh, but one of the things I particularly like is what we call the patient values worksheet, 
where we actually had the patient, uh, if, if old enough, or, or the family, if, if under eight, tell about what they think they're most bothered by among a list of symptoms or how the eczema affects their lives uh, in different ways or, or what's important to them in terms of picking a treatment, whether it's the cost or the speed or the convenience or even how it feels. Uh, and so these are ways that we engage the family or we engage the child in the decision making because all of our decisions should be shared. Uh, well, well said, and I hope we can all get our hands on this tool in, in the near future. As, as we all know, atopic dermatitis is such a complex and disabling condition that affects uh, all, all, all age ranges. It certainly does not discriminate as well as it affects the, the network and the, the community uh, around those who are afflicted. Uh, Dr. Peller, thank you so much for your time and insight and incredible research pearls. Uh, definitely, I, I, I've had some introspection and, and certainly have learned uh, just even in these few moments uh, about my next approach to grant writing. You've been listening to JDD Podcast, Ask the Investigator, the number one podcast for dermatology pearls. Our host is Dr. Adam Friedman. The podcast is produced and edited by Emily Lynch-Fries. Our theme music is designed for life by Young Presidents. New episodes are available the first Friday of every month. Check us out at jddonline.com podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to talk to us about this or any other episode, email us at info at jddonline.com. Subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes or Google Play, and don't forget to catch our next episode. Thanks for listening.